Mac Power Users, episode 578, Getting to Know Notion with August Bradley. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett and I'm joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hello, Stephen. How are you today? I'm good, David. I am good. Excellent. We are uh, we're recording today. We've got a friend on the show to talk about Notion. But before we get into it on more power users today, there is a ton of new rumors about new Macs and Apple Silicon. Stephen and I will always take that bait. So we're going to talk about that stuff today <laughs> after the show for more power users. I love new Mac rumors. It's always good. Oh, man, there's so many. It's going to be such a fun year for Mac people. Um, but uh, before uh, we get to that, uh, we've been talking, threatening maybe, on the show for months now to talk about Notion. But I didn't want to do it without somebody that you know really went deep with Notion, and that wasn't Stephen or I. So uh, welcome to the show, August Bradley. Hey, it's great to be here. August, I was looking at, you know, Power Notion users, and you were number one on my list. I was so pleased when you agreed to come on the show. Yeah, I've definitely gone very deep down that rabbit hole. Yeah, uh, we're going to have some links in the show notes. August has a whole course on using Notion, not just for collaborative work, but also just kind of getting your life together and all of the various pieces. He's built a very intricate Notion um, infrastructure that is it's fascinating i i watch them hypnotically that's just amazing all the stuff you've been able to do with that app yeah it's unprecedented in its ability to let you build the tool you want so i've taken full advantage of that i, I thought it's funny that you call it a personal operating system through notion because for years i've been building what i call sparky os which is like just a decision matrix and a bunch of different things i use for myself but I've always been too embarrassed to talk about it because it's such a nerdy thing. But it made me feel good that, you know. Yeah, it's super nerdy. But the idea of having your own personal life operating system makes a lot of sense. You know, a lot of us are frustrated. We're not achieving the things we want to achieve in life. And we just don't have the systems and processes in place to be consistently moving toward it. And that's what this is all about. Yeah. And I think writing it down actually really helps. And uh, whether you do that in Notion or a text file or whatever, it can make a difference. But also in the process of putting all this together, you have really dug deep with Notion. You're taking advantage of all the various features and the ways you can connect things. And I think that's something that, that a lot of people are interested in, whether or not they want their own personal operating system or they're just looking for a better way to hold their team together. Um, Notion is one of those options. So, August, you are here as as our now, I guess, uh official Notion expert, but tell us a little bit about your background and work and how you came to be the the Notion guy. Well, it was not a direct journey and I kind of stumbled on it by accident, but I had been doing a wide range of consulting at the time really focused on advanced technologies. So augmented reality, virtual reality, AI, uh, 3D printing, some really cutting edge stuff, working with a lot of small startup companies and was implementing systems and processes for these companies. as either the actual COO in one case, and then increasingly a consultant performing as sort of a virtual COO and putting the processes and systems in place so those companies could work effectively. Now, I was discovering that working with small teams, especially ones that are very controlled by a visionary founder, which is typical in that sort of Silicon Valley scene, 
we were, I was discovering that putting the best systems in place for the company didn't get you very far if the owner's or the founder's life was not structured and was in disarray. So I increasingly started bringing the life operating system concept into effect, working with founders so that their companies could perform well. We had to get their own lives working well. So I was integrating systems between individuals who had a very dominant uh, role and influence on their companies and their company systems and sort of coordinating between the two. And that was really exciting and interesting. And that's what led me to becoming the someone who works so deeply with Notion is that I found Notion as I was doing that and increasingly bringing Notion in as the tool to build those systems and processes that would bridge both the company operations and the founder's life operations. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. And as someone who founded a company, it it is definitely true <laughs> that especially in the early days, like your life and the company are really just... Uh, just one thing. So I, th- I think that insight is is really interesting. Um, before Notion came along, and in a minute we'll get to some of the things that make Notion unique and sort of this new wave of software. I mean, what sort of tools would you utilize? I mean, back in the days of like spreadsheets and documents, had you built a system to manage these things? Or were you kind of always looking for that tool to unlock this type of work? I was constantly looking for tools. That's sort of the nature of many of us. But at the time, I was using a combination of either Asana, Rike, or Bootcamp, or one of those standard project management tools, and then Evernote or OneNote as another piece in the system, and then a lot of Zapier integrations, and patching together different pieces of CRM, uh, you know, like HubSpot sometimes, or a wide range of CRMs, Pipedrive. There are a lot of different tools, and you're patching them together constantly. What Notion enabled was bringing a lot more of them under one umbrella, not everything, but in- increasingly more and more. And it lets you develop your own workflow and your own processes. And when you find friction points, you can polish them off yourself and enhance them. So you're not stuck with what the designers of the app thought was optimal for the most people. You can design something uniquely suited for your specific needs and the needs of the teams that you're working with. And I know one of the topics that you are particularly concerned is like systems design and that applied on a personal level. We're going to actually talk about that later in the show, because I think whether or not you like Notion, that whole discussion is worth thinking about with the way you use your computer. Yeah, there's a whole discipline called systems thinking that I like to apply. Yeah, and it's really fascinating to hear you talk about it. And we're going to cover that later. But I guess before we even get started... Um, what hardware are you using to do all this stuff? Uh, well, I mean, it's a cloud-based app. So you use, when in this case of clients, you use whatever they have. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, in my case, I, of course, as I was developing the system for clients, founders, and their companies, I was also applying it to my own life and doing a lot of the R&D and experimentation in my own life prior to you know porting it over to client lives. So in my case, I have a pretty broad range of tools. I'm heavily in the Mac ecosystem, but I also use Windows systems as well. So I, everything I use needs to be cross-platform, you know, both between mobile and desktop, and then both Mac and Windows and iOS. And my entire mobile operation is iOS, but my desktop spans across both uh, Mac and Windows. So I've got, I think I have at least one item from each product category in the Mac ecosystem. Some of them are older and some of them are newer. Uh, but um, I don't know how deep you want to go into that. Let me let me know. But I have a very broad range of tools in the 
integrated ecosystem. But Notion's working nicely across all of them. I will say it's better for desktop. And a lot of people are critical of its mobile app. I actually find the mobile app to be very usable, not as good as desktop, but good. It, but a lot of it is, again, with Notion, you're designing your own system. So you can design a system that's good for mobile, or you can design one that's not good for mobile. And a lot of people do a lot of very decorative looking settings because you can make Notion look really nice. But the more decorative settings don't work as well on the iPhone or Android. So then you get a lot of criticisms about the mobile app, but it's really, you have the power to design the interface. So a lot of that responsibility falls on you. It's remarkable how many of these um, cloud-based solutions really drop the ball on iOS. You know, like mm-hmm. Airtable stands out to me. It's like <laughs> they, uh, you know, because I like Airtable and Airtable is something we should probably talk about in comparison to Notion at some point today. For sure. But you open it up on the iPad with that big screen that matches the size of your laptop screen and it just turns into this terrible experience. And I, I don't know why they don't put more effort into it. Yeah, and for sure, Notion is better on the on the desktop, but you can design an interface that works quite well on mobile. It just takes some thought. Just because I can't help myself, you said you've got most of the Apple gear. Have you got any of the new Apple Silicon yet? Yeah, I have one um, of the M1 MacBooks. Ah, what was your experience? Inch. What do you think about it? Oh, it's great. I love it. It's great. I mean, I'm excited about what happens when you put you know more of more power with that you know silicon platform into the more powerful MacBook Pros. That's what I'm excited about. Or even better, the Mac Pro itself. Yeah, yeah. I think that Stevens um, Stevens looking forward to that as well. My Intel Mac Pro is fine. It it can't hear you right now. <laughs> <laughs> not taking it personally. Yeah. Well, the only reason I'm using Windows is because for the heavy, I do a lot of heavy video production and I need, you know, beefy graphics cards and beefy processing. And if Mac could do that, then I would have no need for the Windows system. Also, I would assume with your client work, you've got to be able to show them how to do it on a Windows machine as well as a Mac. Yeah, that's a factor. That's a factor for sure. Yeah, the the, the ability to test in all the environments is part of what I do. But on a personal level, I I would prefer to just stay entirely in the Mac ecosystem if I could. It's just there, historically it hasn't had the high performing machines for heavy lifting video production. But I'm yeah. hoping that this M1, you know, series of developments will solve that problem. Yeah, especially if you go to Final Cut. I don't know what are you using for your video. I'm um, using Adobe Premiere. That's part of the issue right there. Yeah, yeah. Well, y- your videos are very well produced. Like you know, having watched several of them as we prepared for today, I know you've got the nice room there where you you take your your headshots and um, everything is just really well done. So I can tell you're putting a lot of effort into it. Yeah, I'm taking that to the next level in the next season. I come from. I previously ran a production company, and that's where a lot of Systems and processes oh, yes. are so essential to just functioning when you have so many different moving parts. But I have that background, so I just can't help myself but push the limits of production quality. Because uh, you always see people going on YouTube, and so often, like they get like the lighting and the audio wrong to begin with, and you know, myself included, frankly. And it just, um, it really, you know, doesn't happen with you. You, you started like well down the road it felt like so i didn't that that production experience would explain it yeah that's directly a evolution of that 
So the question is, are you willing to learn new software in order to get more speed if you want to go to your Apple? Because I, I feel like once the uh, the Apple Silicon MacBook Pro comes out, yeah, that thing is just going to scream in Final Cut. Yeah, I'm not. I, I've tried Final Cut. I don't love it. It's okay, but I my mind, having been in production for a long time, works the way of a traditional editor editing system NLE, and so I much prefer the Adobe, especially the suite of tools. I mean, the ability to jump in and out of and have direct links to After Effects and Audition is just not something that Final Cut's going to be able to do for me. Sure, but it's great. I mean, it's, if you're starting from scratch, I think it's a great uh, software tool to use. It's a presumably easier to learn and it does have some advantages. Every system has pros and cons, but when you're really taking it to a full production suite, Adobe just has a broader range of bases covered. Yeah, I think that I think that's totally fair. And there's also a way of thinking with the, with the traditional editing system and so it's if you're starting from scratch, you can shape your thinking in the final cut direction, but if you already are deep in the traditional editing framework, it's hard to to change, I think. So you mean systems thinking applied to video production? In a way, it's all related, yeah. I mean, systems yeah. thinking is, a, is a, almost a philosophy, a framework on how you view the world. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. One 1Password one is the solution I trust for keeping things like logins, bank account information, secure notes, and a lot more safe and sound. And not only secure, but easily accessible to me. Because 1Password is on all of my devices. My phone, my iPad, my Macs, my PC. Wherever I am, I know I can log in to any of my accounts. The folks behind 1Password know that security and frustration in use, like those things have to be balanced. And they do a great job of that. Because they're always on top of the newest features. So of course, 1Password supports Face ID and Touch ID on the Mac, and it's ready for your M1 Macs as well. I use One Password for families and One Password for Teams at home and at work, respectively, meaning I can share my logins with those who I work with, those that I live with, and that makes everything so much easier. I don't have to iMessage somebody a password. If you're doing that, don't do that anymore. Set them up with One Password for families, or if it's at work, One Password for Teams. You can learn more about both at onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps. You can sign up for a free 30-day trial there. And when you sign up, you'll get 20% off. That's onepassword.com slash MPU. All right. So we promised Notion. Let's start with the basics. Explain what Notion is. Notion is essentially, this is something that's often misunderstood because it's often referred to as one of the many note-taking apps out there, and it's compared against note-taking apps. But I think that's that thinking of it that way leads to a misunderstanding and takes you longer to really understand its potential. I view it, and many of us who are really pioneering the uses of it, view it as a development platform. It's an ability to create your own software application, totally customized to your needs and uses, more along the lines of you know coding. It's part of this no-code movement, which is... Uh, a broad sweeping movement in te the technology sector where you can build the tools you want without learning how to write code. And even if you know how to write code, it lets you do things very quickly. You can do mock-ups or MVPs, you know, minimum viable products much more quickly than you could if you were actually writing the code of something. 
from scratch. So it gives you a lot of capability, both speed and opens up the access to creating software to the point where each individual user can create a customized tool for themselves, even if you're not building it for clients. It's that easy to use. Essentially, you're dragging and dropping in building blocks, whether it's a database or various widgets. And in the way that you can now build a website using Squarespace or one of those tools where you don't need to do any HTML, you can now build essentially SaaS applications using Notion and similar products that are evolving. This sort of next generation software lets you build the tools you want and change them over time as you grow and evolve. So it's, it's sort of a new way of thinking of software. You know, it reminds me at some level, and let's separate the cloud-based portion of it for a minute, but like about 15 years ago, uh, both Apple and Microsoft were coming up with these standards to kind of say what's next after Office where you can build components. Like you have a worksheet where you can have a spreadsheet combined with a word processing component combined with a relational database. And so you can kind of build what you need. I forget, what did Apple call that? Open drive? Doc. Open Doc, that's it, yeah. And it never really took off because <laughs> they couldn't get third-party <laughs> developers to join in and, you know, who wants to join in somebody else's thing. But but this almost feels like fulfilling the promise of Open Doc, but on a web platform. Yeah, essentially. I mean, it's it, you start with a page in Notion, and that looks familiar to everybody. But what's new about it is the range of things you can bring in. You can drop in databases. So we talked about Airtable. Airtable, I, a lot, I, like a lot of people, migrated from Airtable to Notion when you realize the power. So Notion gives you a page. But in that page, not only can you do anything you can do in Google Docs, but you can do whatever you do in Airtable. And you can start patching things together. Each page has endless ability to design. I mean, you can turn a page into a, a dashboard a functional dashboard to run your company or to run your life. And then the interesting thing with Notion that made me migrate from Airtable is when you open, you create a database, each entry in it isn't just a record in the database. You open it, that record, that entry in the database is an entire page with all the functionality of any page in Notion. So then you could put additional databases inside that page, open one of those, and that's a whole new page you can do anything with. And you can put databases or any functionality widgets in that. It's kind of fractal if you think about it. Self-similar patterns repeating endlessly as deep as you want to go. And then you can develop relational links across all those deeply embedded databases. It just lets you build your own functionality within that. Yeah, just as an example. So I have an Airtable for working blog posts. And I have a friend or a, a virtual assistant who helps me get things posted to the website, and she she proofreads them for me. So I'll start out just with a table entry for a post idea, but then I'll open the page, and then I have a segment in there where I can actually write the post text, and she has access to it. And because it's a table, I can indicate in the table when it's her, when it passes from me to her, and then she can go in there and she drills into the table to the page with my text and she can work with it and get it posted to the internet. I, we've done experiments with that both in Basecamp and Notion, and um, but it works fine in Notion. Th this idea of drilling through your table into new pages, and it's s seemingly infinite. I guess you, you really aren't going to go infinite, but I mean, it, you can go really deep down that well. Yeah, you're not going to hit any limit doing that. And then the combination of being able to do a very nice aesthetic 
design is helpful to a lot of people. And then the ability to have any of these databases or pages sort of speak to each other with backlinks and relational rollups that let data automate and pull with it, you know, across the two. That's when you're really designing, you know, a SaaS application, your own tool customized for your own needs. It's just, it, we've never had this capability, let alone this capability without the, the computer science background you need to program. Yeah. And, and one of the fundamental points is that it's on the web and everything you create has a URL link. And, you know, we've talked on this show about contextual computing and the ability to jump to specific places with a Notion database, you can get anywhere in that database with a simple URL link. So if you're like working from OmniFocus and you want to jump to a specific page, you can embed that page and get to it. Not only is every page and every database and every entry in the database have its own URL, but every single block on a page, which is basically every line of a page or anything embedded in the page, each block, meaning each paragraph or each little widget you embed has its own URL to link directly to. Yeah. So it, let's say that you're working on some project, you know, you're planning your wedding and you've got a page for that and you've got an entry like an activity log showing things you did on specific days. And you've got a day one entry and you want to link to the block that you wrote today about your wedding in your Notion database. You can literally link to that one little paragraph, you know, you know, 12 linear inches down the page and it'll go straight to that, which is great. Absolutely. And as you're working within Notion, there are a lot of keyboard shortcuts. You just do open bracket twice. It'll give you a list and a search command. You can search to any other page in your Notion system. And just as you're typing, insert a link to that other page real time as you're flowing. Put, let's put a pin in that. I want to come back to talk about some of these, like the slash and the bracket and some of the things that people sure. do. Because that that's uh, some tactical stuff I think we should cover. But but just kind of on the global level, the good news of these URLs is you can get anywhere from anywhere. But the bad news is it's on the web, you know, and it needs to be active and working to happen. And just coincidentally, as we're recording today, Notion is down. Yeah, it's having a, a, some growing pains at the moment. It's a sort of a victim of its own popularity. But every time this has happened in the past, they throw a lot of resources at it. They are very well funded at this point. <laughs> so I'm not too concerned about that. But I think there's one thing we need to clarify in that every, there are URLs to everything. But if you don't invite someone into your system, they don't have access. So there is, unless the pages are by default, not public. And even if someone has a URL, they can't go to the page unless you make that page public. That's a choice you have. Yes. Yeah, so, so the links are really for your your own use to build up exactly. your own wiki or whatever name you want to apply to that. But then if you want to say, take one of those and again, we'll use the wedding example. Hey, I need to send this document we worked on. I need to send this to the wedding planner. You can get a URL, email it to that person, and then they can access it as like a, basically as a website. Absolutely. You can either make private collaborative workspaces for private teams or a lot of people are actually using this to make websites. So you can make it public. There's a third-party tool you can use to give it whatever domain name you want. And then you have a website that is incredibly easy to update and manage effortlessly. And you can get this up in a matter of, yeah, I don't know, less than an hour. And it's the fastest way to build a website. You're sort of constrained within the Notion design framework, but it's a pretty nice design framework. 
And you may not want to use it for your main website, but if you've got if you have got a project going on and it'd be nice to have a website to promote that event or something, it's just the fastest, quickest, easy way, easiest way to mm-hmm. put up and maintain a website. Yeah, I've I've been slowly, I really need to finish it. I've slowly been documenting I have this large Mac hardware collection. I've been slowly documenting it in Notion. So at the end of it, I can just have a link to it and have that on the blog. Right now it's just a basically a markdown list in WordPress. Like, well, I want pictures and other information. So slowly documenting it and then I can just share it. And it looks really nice and people can click through the different subsections. It is pretty cool how your own internal organization within a Notion database, like that's how the web works. And so it works really well if you want to put it out on the web. Right. So if you're maintaining your own database on your book notes or reading notes, but you want to share it publicly, so you're just maintaining it anyway. But if you put a, an embed of that database, which can be done in a nice visual gallery view or however you want to present it, it'll automatically be updating the public view as you're just managing your internal documentation. Yeah, I mean, in addition to running small companies with this, I could see you know advantages for teachers, uh, for people like, let's say you're just coaching a soccer team, this would be a great solution for you to be able to put content up and tables and pictures and everything you need. Yeah, it's an unprecedented collaboration tool. And the way that Google Docs are really valuable for collaboration, it embeds a lot of that functionality, like the Google Sheets, Docs, you know, Trello has the functionality of Trello all built into it. Uh, lots of the different tools, but it's all in one now. And it's super flexible in terms of how you collaborate and share with it. And as one person's modifying a document, you see it real time across everybody else if they're looking at the same page. It's also got a really nice discussion thread system built into it. So you can put notes to others in your collaborative space. And if even if they're not online at the time, they'll be notified next time they're in the system that they have a note and they can respond to that either in the block by block level or in the top of the page, there's a discussion thread as well. On the point of collaboration, how good is the collaboration in terms of people working in the same data at the same time? Like Google, that is the killer feature with Google Docs. It's very good in that regard. I'm not sure what your what the concern is. I've always most applications I've seen that do that do that pretty well, and it is a feature Notion has. It's basically real time updating. Yeah, but I guess that's the question: Are you seeing real time updates? Like if two yes. people are working in the same document at once, are you seeing the edits happen while they while they occur? I don't know if it's literally instantaneous, but it's so close as to be essentially the same thing. So yeah, you can watch people updating documents as they're doing it. Let's break down. um, We've talked about the components of Notion and you've made reference to several of them, but just for someone listening, you know, like uh, what are the various components? Like I know there's a text block and I know there's a table. I can say with the tables in my experimentation, they're absolutely on par with Airtable, which is an app that I've come to love over the years because they're so powerful. But I was able to move Airtable data into Notion and get all of the same features. Yeah, it's very similar. But the difference is you can embed it into context, whereas the Airtable table is just, it, you open the table and it's just the table. In yeah. Notion, you can take all that table functionality and embed it into pages, which therefore you can turn into the dashboards or organize. You can put multiple tables next to each other. You can put all kinds of formatting and widgets embedded around it. But the fundamental building blocks in Notion are two things. One is a page, and the other is a database. 
I mean, you could call the database a page, but it's a sort of a specialized page. And on a database page, that's the original source page. It's similar to Airtable. It's just database. You have different ways of looking at it. It can be a table view. It can be a gallery view. It can be sort of a Kanban board view like Trello. You know, so you have different views of the table of, of the database, but it's a database. So you get these two building blocks, but then within the page, you can put the database embedded and position it. And then you've got a lot of other things that you can embed in the page, but it's largely formatting or embedding views into other things. So just as you can embed a view into the database and you have a lot of flexibility of how you present the database, you can also have embeds into other websites. And if those websites are dynamically updating, then that data will update in your view of it in Notion. So for a simple example, you have a weather widget where you're viewing a snippet of a web weather update. And as that weather is updated or the stock ticker is updated, it'll update in your dashboard in Notion. Uh, but that can be taken to a lot of you know, more sophisticated examples too. But a lot of it's formatting. Then you have you know, a hierarchy of headers and then you create a, have it automatically generate a table of contents at the top based on the H1, H2, H3 headers. You can have bullet points, checkpoints, uh, what I call callouts, which are sort of a highlighted block. It sort of funnels you into a design aesthetic, but it's a very nice design aesthetic. So it helps you make things look good pretty easily. Yeah, that's one of the nice things about Notion and in experimenting with it is it is very attractive. I mean, uh, you don't have a lot of control over the UI of it, you know, where, uh, but, you know, you don't in any of these tools, you know, I mean, where, right. you know, Basecamp has a definite opinion about how it wants to display data. Notion does as well. But what makes Notion interesting is you can assemble the page. Like you don't have to follow any rules. If you want to have checkboxes followed by, tables followed by you know rich text fields you can set it up any way you want yeah and you can and embed views into like whimsical flow charts or embed video embed audio uh loom videos and youtube videos just embed effortlessly uh with playability inside the notion view so it, it, and you can embed code without you know keeping the the integrity of the code layout they have a code embed you know format things like that. Just, just just a lot of flexibility to design the page you want and then pull from other sources. So it's sort of a real-time updated view. Could you share with us, now that you're doing this for both small businesses and people with, with your website, some of the typical uses you've seen people adopt Notion for? So it's largely been the use, use cases and partly because of the function of the blocks that are made available sort of favor this. It's been used, and this is why it's often compared with note-taking apps, for note-taking, for but also for project management and knowledge management, which is capturing and filtering and curating all that flood of information we're exposed to every day, finding what's valuable to us, capturing what's valuable to us. And the thing that I really emphasize in my system is the ability to have that information you've captured resurface in context. So it comes back up in the right time, in the right place. So you have it to use but, not, but it's not in your face the whole time. You don't have to filter through it and wade through it when you need it. You can have a, a one of the more advanced features, but it's really not that difficult to do. It's have a self-referencing filter. So if you're on a page, that say you're on a page that is an entry in your project's database. You pull up a specific project you're working on, all the books and articles and videos you've read and, and watched and saved that are relevant to that project will appear in that project view because they've been tagged to that project. And so only when you go into that project view 
do you see all the stuff you've saved that is relevant for that project? And in that case, is that because you built a table that you assembled it in or the the app is dynamically finding the stuff related to the project? There's a table for the project or for projects and then this is one entry. And then there's a table for the media you capture. And if you just have the the consistent habit of when you capture something, you attach it to whatever it's relevant to in the system, whether it's a project or a client or a knowledge topic that you're tracking, you just tag it with preset tags already built, which are essentially links to other databases. Then when you have the specific project you're working on, you pull it up, it'll pull all the references to that project and organize and sort them by whatever. I usually do it by most recent date captured or modified. Yeah, so it finds the tag. You don't necessarily have to go in and like enter data. The table right. builds itself. That was the problem with Evernote is you'd throw everything in there, then you couldn't find it. And it was just this endless bottomless pit, right? It was this giant single database and you had tags, but you had to remember enough to even know to look for it. Whereas in Notion, you can create these dashboards, which will pull what's needed related to whatever the topic of that dashboard is. And if you just have the habit of establishing those relational links, whenever you put something into it, you don't have to remember what to search for it'll just search re, resurface in context for that whatever it is, a project, a specific client, a specific topic that you're following or whatever. Yeah, uh, Stephen, you should add a tag for um, your Mac database just called Stephen Lust for every <laughs> Mac that you've lusted after. Yeah, I need a I need a white whale database, you know, things that I still yeah, yeah. still hunting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the highly desirable dashboard. The, That's sort right. Of, it becomes a window into your soul, essentially, <laughs> the things you care about. <laughs> that is nice, though. That It works dynamically. One of the th- reasons why I've been telling people not to use Evernote for like 10 years is I've always felt like uh, getting data out of Evernote is horrible, and they've never fixed that. And I haven't gone deep enough down the Notion rabbit hole to know if I invest time and put data into Notion, how hard is it to get your data out? You mean if you leave the app or as you're using it? Both, both. Okay, so um, as you're using it, <laughs> well, the thing is it's not, it doesn't have a design. You have to create the design. So if you create a design that does that, a system design, which is where systems thinking comes in, it will do that. And that's what a lot of us who are more pioneering and in, in doing a lot of content creation have developed our own systems and so as you come into Notion, you can do your own thing, or you can sort of take guidance from myself and people who are putting out system designs. And that's sort of the best of both worlds, because it's kind of overwhelming. The strength of Notion is you can do anything, but the problem with Notion is you can do anything, <laughs> and you have to do something. It doesn't like have a pre-built approach. So what people typically do when they come into it is they do a very small, isolated things to get an understanding of how it works, and that's totally valuable and fine, and nothing wrong with that. Then as they see the power, something clicks and they want to take it further. But most of us don't have a systems thinking background. Like we don't really know how to build systems. It's a, it's a specialty or discipline that you have to learn. And so those, then some people like myself and, and many others have built approaches. And you'll tend to look at a few and then one will just click with the way you think. And then you'll start building around that system structure but then customizing as you wish. So unlike when you buy a software package or find one that's off the shelf, you have to do it the way they do it. In this case, you can find one, implement that as sort of your center starting point, and then modify as you go. So but so it's 
you can do the resurfacing of information very effectively in Notion, but you have to build the system to do that. It doesn't automatically do it. Yeah, there was a big meme on the internet a few months ago about architects, librarians, and gardeners. That's right. Talking about which tool you use. And one of the big um, points about Notion folks were arguing was Notion is a great app if you think like an architect. If you want to plan out a building, uh, you plan out your system with Notion and then you can hang things on it. Although I'd say that my experience with Notion has been very organic. I haven't really architected it but I haven't gone as far down the rabbit hole. Like as, we don't as have August to. Yeah, yeah, typically if you don't architect it, you'll have all these silos, which is okay. Yeah. You'll have a tool for this and a database for that, and, and it'll serve little niche purposes. But the premise of systems thinking is that there's untapped value in the whole integrating together. There is emergence uh, qualities and capabilities will emerge from a system working together that don't exist in the independent parts. So you're trying to get a, a level of capability that where one su- section enhances the power of another section and they're constantly reinforcing and, and being force multipliers for each other. Now, but getting back to the export issue, I can tell you my experience was rich text was fine. We could block and copy it and put it into Squarespace on the blog. And uh, so getting individual entries out uh, was fine. Um, have people had problems or, or any issues with getting data out on an individual level as well as just exporting all their data? There are various ways to export your data, and you can definitely export it to back up, meaning if you were to leave Notion or you were or Notion were to be unaccessible, then you'd have the backup and you could access it. But it's not the backup is not very functional. I mean, you could there are different formats. You could do it in HTML, markup, uh, PDF, but you're basically clicking through this through the links and relations, but but they don't function. You can't modify it. You can't add anything new. It's just access to the information in either an emergency or a, an exiting the platform scenario. The problem is the ability to export it and then put it into a fully functional alternative. I mean, where else would you put it? Nothing else is as dynamic and broadly functional as Notion. The only potential comparison would be Coda, but you have so many different pieces. I mean, each database is a, is its own database. So you can certainly export each database and then import each database into another database app, such as uh, Airtable. But the dynamic cross-functionality across the system isn't really replicable anywhere else. You can't just export the system interaction and put it somewhere else. <laughs> so you can export individual stacks of information and then have these different piles, which is what you would do if you were to leave the Notion platform but what you're building is an integrated operation that's cross, you know, pollinating each section. So that isn't actually doable anywhere else short of building your own coded platform. Okay, my last kind of macro level question is, we talked earlier about it being down today. What do you do when the service is down and someone who uses it? And how often is that a problem? Okay, so there, this is one of the biggest problems currently with Notion is that there isn't an offline mode. So it's entirely in the cloud. It's not stored locally. If you open a page and the thing goes and Notion goes down, you can use that page and it will resync later, but you can't open any other page that wasn't already open <laughs> before it went down. So you're dependent on the cloud. If you went into, you know, you can't use it on an airplane if, if you don't have the Wi-Fi service in the airplane. So that's one of the limitations. Uh, but that is also w- very high on their product roadmap. So they're working very hard on implementing an offline mode, which is going to solve this problem. It's just not here yet. 
Uh, but what you do is you go for a walk, you get some exercise, <laughs> maybe a good time to do your meditation. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's really one of my my hangups with it of having my entire system of of work or whatever it is in there, and then it's it's just not available to me if it's down or back in the old days when we used to go on airplanes and stuff. That is, a, I think, a big hurdle for a lot of people. Yeah, that's a totally fair point. And if you need offline access right now, it just it doesn't have it, but it's coming. So a lot there are a couple of things. The other big thing is missing is the API, the ability to in, interact with and speak with other applications, uh, even through Zapier, let alone custom API development. It doesn't have it, but it's in but it's in beta now. That one's very close to ready. It's been promised for a long time. A lot of us are frustrated that it's not out yet, but it is coming in the I believe the two highest things on the roadmap. I know I, I work, I speak with the Notion team pretty frequently. Very high on the roadmap is the API implementation publicly and offline mode. So those are two glaring weaknesses right now, but I'm investing into the system knowing that this is coming. So while it's a frustration at the moment, it's going to be here. It's not a long-term problem. My general impression of Notion is that they blew up so fast that they're probably putting a lot of resources and just trying to keep up with the server load that they would have rather had been spending on APIs and offline mode. But I, I suspect that just the success of the system has mandated priority shifting. For sure. It, they're growing so fast. That's the problem with when it goes down or it's actually, it goes through periods where it's slower than other times. It, it can be slow at times, and we're going through a slow period, which is probably why you, you saw it down today. It's, I've only seen it down twice, like for any more time more than a minute. Um, once was a few weeks ago, <laughs> and I, apparently the other one is today. But that is a growing pain problem for sure. And that means they have to stop everything, and then they have to throw resources at that. They are well-funded. I mean, they got their last funding round was at a valuation of $2 billion. So they have Ooh. access to capital to the extent they need it. They have a very smart team. It's one of the tr- trendiest, hottest companies in Silicon Valley. So they can certainly attract talent. Uh, it's just a matter of some time to implement with that money and talent. Uh, but yeah, the, the growth rate is putting some strain on the system. That's for sure. But that's you know surmountable. You know, A lot of companies have faced that and it is solvable. It's just frustrating at the moment. Yeah, when that when those occurrences, those glitches in the system happen. Well, I, I can tell you one of the the a lot of the questions I'm asking you today are are uh, for my own personal benefit more than the audience because I am actively trying to decide do I keep my team on Basecamp or go to Notion, and you know these are the kinds of of issues that we have to address. And when Basecamp goes down, it's a blog post. They write a blog post about it. It's so infrequent. And, you know, hearing that they're working on it is a good sign, but maybe, you know, maybe I need to wait a little while. I don't know. Well, Notion a few weeks ago went down for an hour or two and Notion wrote a blog post about what happened and what they're doing to change their approach, uh, both about visibility during downtime. So I'm I'm curious as to what they're doing right now, uh, but also in terms of beefing up the infrastructure to prevent this from happening. That one actually was not a Notion server load issue. That was a weird DNS issue. Uh, that was related to the DNS service that they, their vendor um, had, there was a fear of a, an attack on the domain name. So their vendor actually shut down the routing of the domain name. Yeah. And so obviously they're going to work to prevent that from happening. This one, I have no idea. Uh, and it may be, it was, sometimes it goes down, but like for a minute. 
Yeah. Well, we, you know, we talked to friends in the business and I totally get it. You can have a system that makes complete sense, but then when you add scale to it, all sorts of problems arise that you would never, you'll never know until you put it under load. And I, I'm guessing they're just kind of going through that right now. Yeah. I find it's, it's always available, but at certain periods it becomes slow. That's noticeable. And so that becomes the frustration. Uh, but again, that's, that's a growing pain issue that is totally solvable. It just takes some time. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Text Expander from Smile. Go to textexpander.com/podcast to get 20% off and type with less effort. You should work smarter, not harder with Text Expander. Text Expander helps you work faster and smarter so you can focus your time on your most important work. With just a few keystrokes, Text Expander keeps you consistent, accurate, and working efficiently. With Text Expander, you can speed through emails and expand forms with fill in blank fields with quick abbreviations. It's got time saving power. You can use Text Expander's powerful shortcuts and abbreviations to streamline and speed up everything you type. And with Text Expander, you get your message right every time, expanding content that corrects your spelling and keeps your language consistent with just a few keystrokes. Best of all, show listeners get 20% off their first year by going to textexpander.com slash podcast. I just sent out my legal billings last night, and I've got this awesome Text Expander snippet that I use when I do that. It puts the subject line in and adds the current month using Text Expander's ability to grab the current date. So it'll say March bill. Then it hits the tab key and goes to the next line and has some options for me to give the client, whether they're going to pay by mail or pay electronically, and even has a fill-in field so I can type in the client's first name to personalize it. And where it used to take me hours to get bills out, now I get them out in about a half hour, and that's all thanks to Text Expander. Look, if you spend any time behind a keyboard, using Text Expander can help you spend less time behind that keyboard. It's a powerful tool, it's a gateway drug for automation, and it can really change your game. So go to textexpander.com slash podcast now to check it out and let them know you heard about it here on the Mac Power Users. I think one thing people find a little bit intimidating about Notion is all of these different things you can do with it, that it has all of these components and you can build whatever you need to within it. Uh, for people getting started or maybe wanting to take it to the next level, what are some tips you could provide them to sort of uh, avoid that overwhelming feeling? Yeah, absolutely. That The hardest part is the initial onboarding. And even when I first looked at it, it seems overwhelming. The truth is you can learn Notion pretty quickly. You can learn it in a week if you go deep, you know, for a week. But at first, the first day is confusing. And the so I think the number one first step is to, you know, watch a few videos, but they have a great template system. And a template in Notion means someone can build either a single page or an elaborate system with many interconnected pages and make it available for you to duplicate into your system. You can copy it into your workspace. And, and we should note that you can get all the major functionality for free with Notion. There's a free version that gives you almost all the person all the personal functionality. And then there's a paid version which just gives you more storage so you can upload more stuff uh, and invite guests. But you can do a lot of this experimentation for free. So obviously just start by trying it for free. And then Download or duplicate some templates into your workspace and look at how those templates are built. Notion themselves have a library of templates and then a lot of individual creators 
have more extensive templates, but bring in some simple templates and just look at how they're built is starting point number one. Then for a lot of people, the intimidating thing is the concept of databases. A lot of people have not worked with databases, but most of us have seen spreadsheets. So the problem is a lot of people bring a spreadsheet mentality to trying to use databases, which are fundamentally a different thing, even though they look similar, especially in table view in the database. But you need to learn the difference between a spreadsheet and a database. And so that takes a little bit of experimenting and just perhaps a little research specifically on that. I can I can go into that if you want in more detail. But that's usually the first stumbling block for someone who does not have background in databases. I will say Notion and Airtable make databases so much more accessible and easier to understand than pretty much any other platform before that that was based on databases. So it's an easier on-ramp to databases than historically was the case. But it's still a different framework on how data works than a spreadsheet. So you need to understand that distinction. But once you wrap your mind around the databases, then everything clicks in Notion because that's the real power. So pages are great. You can work in Notion without databases at all. Then you're basically using it similar to a Google Docs or an Evernote. But when you want to start actually unleashing the power of designing your own SaaS applications, that's when you need to understand how the databases work. So specifically zero in on just getting an understanding of that. And I will say Notion, they have a giant wiki built, of course, in Notion. That wiki is the best customer tutorial on a platform I've ever seen. So dive deep into that. And then Notion has this incredible community of people who will answer questions and do stuff. I mean, from YouTubers to the Facebook group, which is run by um, Francesco, the who runs the Keep Productive video YouTube channel. He's created what has become the default dominant Notion Facebook group. A lot you can ask questions on almost anything in there. Uh, you know, there are other communities where you can jump in and ask questions, and people are so incredibly supportive. It's a unique community in terms of how eager and willing people are to go to great lengths to help other people learn. I mean, it really is part of. I feel like this revolution we're going through right now of democratizing data. And uh, there's a lot of apps we'll talk about some later that I think give people a lot of different ways to look at their data. And and Notion feels like it's it's a big player in this space. For sure. It's a great tool for aggregating your data and then a great tool for using and working within your data, for sure. One of the tactical things I know a lot of people struggle with is kind of the keyboard shortcuts that they build in. I mean, you're making an app for the web, so you've got to have a, that's going to be a multiple platform. So you can't look at like a traditional Mac shortcut system. Um, They've done it with the slash, as far as I understand. Could you explain that? Yeah, for sure. And first of all, you don't need to use the keyboard shortcuts. So when you start, you're doing everything with the mouse and that's totally fine. There's a way to do everything without knowing the keyboard shortcuts. But as you start using it more and more, learning the keyboard shortcuts, of course, makes it far faster and more efficient to work with it. So there are a few of them, but the slash is the one that if you, in any line, in any page, put your cursor wherever you want. It'll be in a, in a block. Everything's in a block. But you put the cursor there, you hit the slash, it'll pop open a view of all the tools you can embed and insert into that location where you've entered the slash. Uh, similarly, if you do an at sign, it will give you options to embed either the date or another person in your team that you collaborate with. It's a way of inserting functionality right into that spot. Um, then you, know, you could do links to other pages by doing double open bracket. There are different keyboard shortcuts that'll just give you instant pop-up access to functionality 
But again, you can do this without the keyboard shortcuts. So that's, you don't start with the keyboard shortcuts. You evolve into that as you're using it more and more. Yeah, but our Mac Power users audience, they're going to want the keyboard Good. shortcuts. Good, well, they're there. Yeah. They have extent, yeah. and then of course they have a directory of all the keyboard shortcuts uh, and you yeah. pick them up quickly. It also has full markdown language. So any formatting you want to do, you can do with keyboard markdown code or you can use the formatting you know, bar if you want to use the mouse. So you have the option both ways. Yeah, it's funny how everybody works differently. But for me, uh, as me learning the software, the slash command has been my window because it gives me a list of all the features, all the things I can do at this point in this block. If I hit the slash key, it gives me options to choose from that I didn't realize were there. And that's really helpful. Yeah, that's a particularly good one because you just hit the slash and it lists all the, anything you can embed into that spot is just listed for you right there. You mentioned uh, a little while ago about storage and how that's how they, one way they break down the different account types you can have. Uh, what sort of things can you store in Notion as far as files? Oh, uh, you can store almost anything. The issue is what is easily accessible within Notion and what's not. So PDFs, of course, are a great example. I You could upload videos and insert it there, but I, I don't think you want to do that. That would, I would be concerned about uploading a lot of very large files. I don't know that that's a problem, but that just from my just knowledge of databases in general and those, I, I know that that can lead to problems and slowness. So I wouldn't store large files. I would link to them if you have them, but PDFs are no problem. That's a common one. Uh, if you, the, you can upload Word documents and Excel sheets, stuff like that, but if you're actively working on them, I wouldn't. It's not like Dropbox or Box.com where you can upload it and then within the browser application, open it and work on it or have it auto-launch the application on your local computer. You don't have the ability to interact with it. You'd have to download it, open it, re-upload it. So it's not. It's better for finished items that are not actively being modified by another application. Uh, but short of that, it's really good for organizing your system because it's a database and you can sort and filter and organize it in any way you want. So either links to other source locations, if they're large files that are dynamically active, or if they're finished files that are no longer being worked on, then you can easily upload them and make it part of your storage system. I, I get the impression from using Notion that it's really not built to be the depository of files as much as it is to be data management and reference. Agreed. Is that a fair? That's totally fair. And the way I deal with that in the system that I've designed is I have an organizational system that based on pillars, which is different segments or categories of your life. And I use that to organize everything in my Notion system. Then I use the same organizational system, the same categories in more folder-based hierarchies, such as Dropbox or Google Drive or whatever you use, even Evernote. And so I have the same system across the different platforms. So my mind is looking for the same items in the same folders. And you can then cross-reference them as well. Exactly. And in Notion, you can have a link to the Dropbox location, right? So Dropbox gives you URLs for things if you want to share them. And you could do it that way if you wanted to have quick access through a link. And that's like one interesting, like getting back to my uh, Basecamp versus Notion question, Basecamp is very much a depository. You can upload stuff there, but it doesn't give you the same degree of custom customizability you get with Notion. But it's just kind of an interesting comparison as these companies take something and go a slightly different direction. 
Um, another thing that Notion has been actively working on, I know, are backlinks. Um, explain a little bit about that and and how it's working with Notion. Okay, so understanding backlinks sort of depends on where you're coming from. There's a whole the note taking uh, collection of apps that really lean in heavily into backlinking, like Rome and Obsidian. Uh, Notion didn't originally, but I think it with the popularity of that functionality has been gradually adding more and more capability in that regard. So now as you're typing anything, you know, any paragraph or any, any dashboard heading, you can create a link to any other page that is entered very quickly with keyboard shortcuts and just almost as fast as you're typing, you can include a link to another page. And then that page will have a list of every page that links to it. And you can, so if you're on that other page, or if you're on any page, it'll list all the other pages in your Notion workspace that link to that page. And you can easily hide or expand that view. And then if you click on a link to the previous page, it not only goes to the previous page, it goes to the actual block within the page. So it takes you right to the context where it was referred to that original page. Now, what it doesn't have that other systems have is a snippet of what's in the page. So you you have the title of the page that's linking to it. You don't have any more context than that. And that's something you have in Roman Obsidian. But, you know, so for some people, that's good that it's simple and it's not taking up as much space to list all this content on the backlink reference. And for others, they wish they could see more into what's happening on the page before they click through. So the trade-offs, but this is functionality that's been growing and evolving and Notion's adding more and more as we go. So I was previously using both Rome and Notion. And when this feature came in, that really closed the gap enough that Notion does so many more things other than that, that that specialty feature was less, it didn't justify going to another application just for that capability to create that sort of networked, uh, hyperlinking across all of your different notes and ideas. No, I I get it. And like I said, I feel like we're just going through this remarkable period where there's all these apps developing with different takes on this type of stuff. And I'm actually relieved that they aren't all making the exact same app. I like that different ones have different flavors of this. For sure. I agree you know, with you completely. I mean, Rome and Obsidian don't have the table support that Notion does and you know they right. but they go after backlinking in different ways and we have different data models. And it, it's all good because people can make big boy and big girl choices about what works best for them. Um we've we've compared it to Airtable, but um I, I think we've kind of covered that Airtable really is just a table, whereas Notion is quite a bit more. Well the database, I mean Airtable will have Kanban yeah. boards and different views. Uh, yeah. but yeah it's limited to one at a time, one database at a time. <laughs> I think we've already kind of covered comparing to Basecamp, but there's a new emerging app in the Apple ecosystem called Craft, which um, has a it's very Notion, you know, adjacent in my mind. And uh, I know you took a look at it before we recorded today. What are your thoughts on Craft? Yeah, I've been hearing about it, and I, I haven't used it certainly not extensively, but I haven't even really what I would call given it a test drive. But I've been watching what its capabilities are. I've been watching some videos and their, their feature list. And I would actually not put it in the Notion ecosystem, though some people are certainly debating between the two. I actually consider Craft more similar to functionality of a Roman Obsidian than a Notion because Craft is pretty, pretty clearly a note-taking app, as are Roman Obsidian. 
Notion, again, I really see it as a development platform that does have, it leans towards notes, but also project management and knowledge management. It has a far broader range of capabilities and most specifically because Craft doesn't have databases. So Craft lets you, first of all, Craft is a really elegant design. Like it's a really elegant application. So I'm impressed with the the craft that they put into craft, sure, it just it just looks beautiful. Um, Notion looks good, but I mean, it props to the craft team for a really elegant design. But it doesn't have databases. I mean, I don't know how you can really put it in the same category as Notion without databases. Notion is taking pages and databases and combining them. Craft is on the pages side. It's really an improvement on where to capture your thoughts and store your store information that you come across. But you can't design functionality without a database. Uh, sure. It's just so limited. So it, while it does it very, it does it in a way that looks more like Notion than Obsidian and Rome, but it's really addressing the same issue that Obsidian, the more narrow functional issue that, narrow, that Obsidian and Rome do, just in a different way. Now, if they start adding databases, then we've got a, a more even comparison. Yeah, and they, they are heading that direction. The developers stated they're working on on database support. And it's interesting because like Craft brings the offline immediately with the promise of database and notion has the database already with the promise of <laughs> promise offline. Of offline. So, <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see where all that goes. We'll collide in the middle. <laughs> oh, hopefully, you know, I mean, I, we all want all these apps to become great and compete with each other and, and give all the, you you know, make it, make it a horse race. So us users get the best possible apps. Right. And version one of notion didn't have databases either. I mean, the marking, the guidepost of version two was really when the databases came out. So that, and it fundamentally changed what the app was. Yeah, that's when it landed on my radar, honestly, is when all of a sudden you could put these these databases in. Yeah. And then version three will be when the API comes out. That's that big of a shift again. Um, and then we can you can then use multiple tools again and have them speak with each other. So you can use Todoist if you prefer that you know, task management interface, but it'll update your Notion databases. And then you can sync that with your projects and goals. So that's going to open up a whole new set of opportunities. Yeah, it's it's so fun watching all this stuff happen. So, if someone wants to get started with Notion, what are the the chief friction points that you've seen people hit, and and how do you, you get past them? Well, the the first one is just overwhelm <laughs> because you have a blank page and you have it doesn't do anything unless you build something. <laughs> so, the way to get past that is to d- duplicate some templates, start with some simple templates, and just study how they were built. You know, go through the list of templates and. All right, this is something I'd like to look at doing, uh, my to-do list or recipe list or a database on books. You know, do a, take a simple one, just look at how it's built. Uh, the other friction point is, as I said, just getting wrapping your mind around databases. If you're new to that, it just takes some, some time. Again, duplicate a simple database template and look at how it's constructed and then try making your own. And then from there, look at pre- systems that others have built and st- sort of study how they assembled them and go from there. So it's a matter of iterations at small scale, getting a little bit more sophisticated with each attempt. And then let's go to the opposite end of the spectrum. You as a power user, you're not a beginner anymore. Obviously, you've, you're an expert on this application. What are the friction points that you're facing in your day-to-day use? Well, I mean, the biggest one is when it, in the times where there's strain on the, the system, the slow loading is a friction point for sure. Uh, the lack of an API and the lack of an offline mode. Those are, those are the big yeah, ones right there. Sure. So server, and those are the three things there 
they're working on beefing up. It's they're well identified on the as top priorities in the roadmap, but you know, you can't get around those things at this point. Do you know the moment at which your um your interest in Notion turned to love? You know what I mean? As a user, you're like, oh, this is amazing. I'm going to go deep with this. I do. It was it was very early, and it was the moment that Notion really clicked for me. Uh, and it was it was the love at that moment, which is I was using Airtable and extensively. And Airtable was like a revelation when I first came across that, uh, having used all the other tools prior, like Airtable gave me, I felt like it let me build SaaS applications too. Um, but I was, I didn't even realize I had a problem, but my problem was I could do so little with each entry in the database. Like I could enter the database properties, but I was trying to format, there was a tech, box you can have a small text box or a large text box so of course i did the large text box i was trying to put a lot of content and you couldn't format it you couldn't bold it you couldn't bullet point it and it was just like oh i just want to put all this information attached to this record in the database and i saw notion and at first this is a common path you look at it you go eh, interesting but not right not there not for me and then you leave it and then for some reason you you take a second look and in the second look you get the thing and what i realized is the database not only had a text block, but you opened the, the database entry, it was the full functionality of any page in Notion, which is already the most functional page of any application I've ever seen. So not only did I have a text block to put, put, to put formatting in, I could really put the entire functionality of a page in place. And that was just like angels from the heaven singing. It was, <laughs> blew sure. my mind. Yeah, because you get an entire sheet. You can add it. Like I was talking about that blogging example earlier. You can blow up out of a database into as much data as yeah. you need, even further databases. And it's not, it could, it'd be powerful enough if it just gave you the capability of a word processor page, which it does, but it gives you all of the functionality of additional databases in interrelating them and all the backlinks. It's like the full capability of Notion is in every single page and each entry in the database is a full page. It's just, I mean, until you really see the capability of that, it's, it, that was what clicked with me and said, this is transformative. Well, I want to move on to systems thinking, um, but if anybody out there is interested in Notion, I recommend highly going to the YouTube and looking at August's videos because uh, even though you know I have kind of a different you know theory for my operating system, just watching you build this, I learned a ton about Notion in the process, and I think that anybody could. You learn about the Notion. You also learn about yourself, and you think about what resonates with me and what doesn't. But you'll think about how your life functions in ways you probably haven't before. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by The IntraZone from Microsoft. If you're looking for a new podcast to check out, The IntraZone is a bi-weekly show with conversations and interviews on how technologies like Microsoft SharePoint and OneDrive can work for you and your company. You'll hear from guest experts behind the scenes and out in the field, so you can see how this fits into your everyday work life to easily share and manage content, knowledge, and applications across a team. Each show covers a bunch of segments like news and announcements, a focused topic, guest perspectives, FAQs, and more. The topics can be really interesting, things like migrating from your old local system to the cloud, crisis management and working remotely, something all of us know a lot more about than we did a year ago and cloud admin. So once you're on the cloud, how you can effectively and securely manage your users and your data. 
A recent episode that came out in early March was about the updates that Microsoft gave to these applications in February. So you don't have to go and find a white paper somewhere on a website or read a knowledge base article. You can subscribe to the podcast and stay up to date. I think that's pretty cool. So go and listen to it now. Just search for The IntraZone wherever you get your podcast. That's I-N-T-R-A-Z-O-N-E, or click the link in the show notes. Our thanks to The IntraZone by Microsoft SharePoint for their support of the show and Relay FM. We have talked a lot about the, the nuts and bolts of Notion. <laughs> there are a lot of them. Uh, but August, you talk a lot about systems thinking when you share how you're using Notion and sort of how you operate. Uh, let's start with a definition of systems thinking. How do you define that? So systems thinking is, it's kind of, it's not a specific mechanical thing. It's almost like a framework or philosophy, a way of just a perspective on the world. Because so in terms of a, de- a definition, it's looking holistically at how each part of the system is affecting the whole which is different from the way we are taught in school and the way we're trained at companies and expected to work at companies. Typically, the traditional way in modern society is to look at the component parts and really study how each part works and then assemble the parts together and you have a a functioning system. Systems thinking, instead of looking at the component parts, starts with the premise that the thing that's interesting in the system doesn't even exist in the component parts because it's the interaction that creates new emergent qualities in the system that is what makes the system interesting and useful. So there's the premise and the, the view that all within systems thinking that all systems are part of larger systems and every system is defined by its function in the larger system. So like a car, like what is a car? A car is, you know, when you think of what a car is, you're not thinking, well, it's a door plus a steering wheel plus an engine, plus a seat. No, you're thinking a car is something that gets me around the transportation system. So a car is part of the larger transportation system. And that's how we think of what a car is, not its component parts. So you wouldn't even understand, looking at each of the individual parts of a car, you wouldn't even understand like the role it plays in our lives. But when you look at it from the system's perspective, how it fits into our mobility in how in the role that mobility plays in our lives. So a car will fit into the transportation system. The transportation system will fit into a larger system of how a, a city functions or a, you know, a society functions. And then that society fits within larger societies. Each of these are systems within systems within systems. All of the parts and all of the systems within systems are influencing each other. So it's a very holistic way of viewing what matters. And the default tendency, both of our educational system and our work approach to work, tends to be component-focused, not holistic systems-focused. But if you look at things from a systems perspective, you will get insights that most people aren't getting, and it'll let you, at the very least, bring more to the conversation. But the superpower comes when you learn to design systems, and what you're trying to design is emergent properties, properties that arise from the combination of all the components that don't exist individually. And that's what I was saying earlier. We can use Notion to build little individual silos, and that's great, and that's powerful and effective and useful. But when you integrate those silos together, you get emergent properties and capabilities that don't exist with the siloed elements. And the the idea of designing systems that create these emergent properties is like the skill that makes Notion extremely capable. So let's put that rubber on on the road a little bit. 
if someone is, you know, kind of a a typical person where they've got family life, they've got a job, you know, maybe they've got some some hobbies or some other interests. Like when you talk about systems thinking and these uh, these silos that things can go into, like how does that fit in with the way that most people just normally live life? Okay, so you know, in, in the example with what I do with the life operating system, so you're designing your own personal life operating system, right? The way you're going to do things, your morning routines, how you're going to organize your tasks and projects and your life aspirations. Well, you're, so you've got a system around your life, but you're part of a family. Your family itself is a system. Your system is inside the family system. Your system can't work if it's at odds with the family system around it, right? So you need to design a system that works harmoniously with the, the larger system that it's inside of and connected to. Now, your family system is also part of a larger societal system. It's part of a work employment system where you know, a company works a certain way. You have certain hours. You have to be there. Certain hours you can't. Certain obligations. That's going to affect both the individual systems of the people who work there and the family system around it. It's going to affect your neighborhood system. I mean, all these systems are influencing each other. So the, at the very least, you want to start with this viewpoint how are the systems around me working for me to help me or against me? And how can I design my systems to work with them rather than against them? And we can go through some, if you want, some basic steps on how to approach a problem from systems thinking. But at the very simplest level, systems thinking is just looking holistically about how all the movements and dynamics around me are influencing me and how what I do influences the things around me and looking for harmonious relationships rather than you know, contradicting, conflicting relationships. I think this is useful on a lot of levels. I mean, not just kind of the the macro level of your life, but even just looking at the way you associate with technology. So just to take a little piece of it, often I hear from listeners that are struggling, like, do they want to get, you know, what app do they, are they going to use for tasks versus note-taking and things like that? And I think this idea of systems thinking applied to those decisions can really help get you to the specific answers for you. Yeah, I completely agree. Let me take it back a little more practical and and how someone would, you know, I mean, because it sounds very abstract, right? And it is in many ways very abstract, but you can take very practical steps to implement this for your life and for living harmoniously with the systems around you that some of many components of which you have no control over. So with when you're going to look at something from a systems perspective. Start by defining the inputs and the outputs and the movement. So with any given system, wherever you draw the boundaries, and that's somewhat arbitrary since they're all interconnected, but it's helpful to draw the boundaries to study a specific system, which is ironically doing exactly what I just said uh, we shouldn't do, or is not systems thinking, which is compartmentalizing and com- being developing components. But on a practical level, we have to be able to draw some boundaries to really study something. So recognizing that contradiction... We look at our system, we decide how things come into the system and what comes in, what information, what people, what processes, and how things exit your system into the larger systems around it. And to identify what's moving through it. And then look for patterns in the system because everything has patterns. Patterns are endless in systems. Now, some of those patterns are a specific kind of pattern called the feedback loop. And these are really at the heart of what makes systems powerful and dangerous and interesting. But feedback loop is a type of pattern over time where the resources and momentum of the previous iteration pour more resources and momentum into the next iteration. 
and it'll build and build by funneling more and more in each different cycle. Or conversely, each one is deteriorating. So each iteration is having a negative declining effect. And the ability to recognize where the positive and negative feedback feedback loops are is where the power will be, because that'll be just relentless, consistent iterations scaling up or down. And that's where you can see what's helping or hurting. Like in your own life, you want to be able to design positive feedback loops that build, but you want to be able to recognize negative feedback loops to break them. And then you want to understand the balancing properties. Every system will have balancing properties, which are things that keep it in line. When things get either random anomalies start going, it'll sort of bring it back in line. Or if the feedback loops get too powerful, they can break a system. But a system that's going to sustain itself needs to have balancing properties that will prevent the building and building and building from feedback loops from exploding the system. So you want to understand what's keeping things on track. And then ultimately, you want to study the interactions of your defined system with the systems around it. So those steps will just sort of give you a framework to look at and approach these kinds of issues. Yeah, the, the big takeaway for me on this is honestly the opposite of architecting a system, but instead organically growing a system. But thinking about systems, so, you know, they use the term system thinking, but thinking about things as you try things to, and, and whether it is, you know, managing your digital data or, you know, the best way to mow the lawn, but just giving thought to the individual components and where you can make improvements, you know, what are the friction points, what are the easy parts, and addressing those individually to create something better on the whole. And I'm getting very hippie here. Yeah, transparency and awareness is the starting point for any of this. So if you do nothing else but recognize that these dynamics are happening, you'll be so far ahead of the game. You'll just have so much insight into what's actually driving results. If people want to learn more about this, what are some good resources? Uh, well, there are a few classic books that are, I think, great starting points. Uh, of course, there are lots of videos as well. But the more structured introductions are um, there's a book called Thinking in Systems by Donella Meadows, which is a great starting point. And then another great starting point is a book called Work the System by Sam Carpenter. I think those are the two best books to, to dive in. Can you share like an example of how you use system thinking in your life recently that, you know, doesn't disclose too much, but gives sure. the audience a, an, uh, an understanding? Well, it's endlessly within uh, the system I've built in Notion is called Pillars, Pipelines, and Vaults, often referred to as PPV. And I've done my very best to put systems thinking endlessly throughout this to build positive feedback loops in our lives and break the negative feedback loops, but really simple ones. I mean, just some things that everyone can relate to, you know, health and fitness. If you, when you start working out, you start eating certain healthy diet, you start reinforcing this identity of yourself, you start seeing results. Those results make you want to join other groups of people that are having similar mindsets. The reinforcement of the community, and you know, you're, you're embracing a system here, a system, a network of people that are all going through the same thing. So that'll give more reinforcement and that'll create another iteration in which you see more positive results. And then that'll make you want to perhaps do a little more research and learn how sleep impacts what you do. So it just creates this iteration after iteration of reinforcement and positive results, and then more commitment to the next round. And you're plugging that in to an ever-growing set of relationships around you, other people, tools, uh, patterns and behaviors, knowledge resources. And you're expanding the system to reinforce 
the behaviors that you want and to break the behaviors you don't. You're avoiding things that are that create negative results. So you're removing all the junk food from your kitchen. You're removing, you're changing your environment. So you don't have the negative impulses and you have reinforcements for the positive impulses. So you're designing the environment around you, which is very much a systems issue in the people you spend time with, in the media you consume. All of this is designing a system around you to reinforce positive results and prevent negative uh, declines in, you know, given whatever your objective is. Well, I, I think it's a fascinating concept, whether you apply it to your your life overall and your health or even just, you know, technology issues. It just works up and down the stack. For sure. It's, it's the way the world works. Uh, you know, so greater awareness of this just gives you greater insight into the fundamental truth. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Indeed. Go to Indeed.com slash MPU to get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post. Indeed is the number one job site in the world, with more total visits than any other job site according to Comscore. And hiring is one of those things you do not want to mess up. You need to hire great people if you want to take your business to the next level. And with the stakes this high, there's only one choice, Indeed. Now let me tell you why. Indeed.com is the hiring site that helps you find quality candidates with Indeed's instant match. Indeed searches through the millions of resumes in their database to help you find great candidates instantly, so you can do the part you really need faster, meeting and hiring great people. Unlike some hiring sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility, delivering a quality shortlist faster. With Indeed, there are no long-term contracts, you can pause your account at any time, and you only pay for what you need. With Instant Match, you see a list of great candidates right away. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. If you want your quality shortlist fast, you need Indeed. And right now, listeners of the Mac Power users get a free $75 credit to upgrade their job post at Indeed.com slash MPU. That is Indeed's best offer available anywhere. So get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash MPU. One last time, that's Indeed.com slash MPU. This offer is valid through March 31 and some terms and conditions apply. Our thanks to Indeed for their support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. Okay, always at the end of these interviews, I like talking to guests about little apps and services that they use that people may not be aware of, or maybe they are aware of, but, but make a difference in your life. Um, you want to share some of your secrets with us, August? Well, you know, some of them are secrets, and some of them are perhaps less than well-known, but some of them are, are pretty common and I just think are worth reinforcing. So let me just run through a, a couple thoughts in different sections. Obviously, Notion. Um, and I use 1Password extensively. I know that's uh, a company you have a relationship with. Uh, I also use CloudApp. I don't know if you're familiar with that. That's similar to Loom, where you capture videos quickly, effortlessly, and they're instantly available with a link. But CloudApp, in addition to having the video quick capture, also has annotations and the ability to uh, mark up a screenshot. Um, I use Scrivener for writing in, in close relationship with ProWritingAid, which is basically a, an AI editor for your writing. I haven't heard of that one. Pro Writing Aid is that a, yeah. a web service or an app? It's a web service. It's in the genre of Grammarly, if you're familiar with it. But it's sure. actually better in terms of 
it has a broader range of things that it will correct and edit. So especially if you don't have someone else to read your writing before it goes out, a run through pro writing aid, I find is a really good, it'll catch lots of little grammar things, even things, you know, you didn't catch, but it'll also teach you some better writing techniques. So I, I've been a Grammarly subscriber for several years. What, um, what have you compared it to Grammarly? And well, yeah, Grammarly, I find I use both of them. Grammarly is good for it, just everything you type on in any website. It sort of is an overlay over everything. Pro Writing Aid, I'll pull my longer form writing into the Pro Writing Aid app and it'll do a review of it and give me a lot of stats and feedback. So it's more of a destination for longer form essays. Got you. Like my yeah. newsletter. I've not seen that one before. How much is it? Uh, it's an annual subscription. I don't know offhand. It's yeah, less than a hundred. I mean, it's like yeah, 50, 80, 40 bucks or something. Yeah. $79 for a yearly or $20 for a monthly or 400 for a lifetime. It's the best I've seen for an automated editor. Gotcha. Yeah. And then and I you use, use it. You go to the website or they have an app. They have an app. And since, and for certain applications like Scrivener and Word, they will actually import that format into uh, into the Pro Writing Aid app. Others you'd have to copy and paste. So you might yeah. want to look at what its integrations are built around. But even just copying and pasting is pretty easy. I, I, Grammarly's native app on Mac is pretty terrible. I think it's mm-hmm. an Electron uh, <laughs> piece of garbage. I mean, there's good Electron <laughs> apps and there's bad ones, and Grammarly is a bad. I just use it on the yeah. web yep, at this same. point. Okay. Got it. Well, another app you may not have heard of is Air, a podcast app. If you if you're familiar with AIRR, oh, yes. I'm a fan. Okay, you know that one. Okay, that's a great one I use with Notion deeply because I it lets you listen to the app, capture snippets. It'll take the AI transcription and the audio snippet, save that as a group. And then I use that in conjunction with Readwise. So everything I capture in Air goes into Readwise, which is a great service for spaced repetition. But what I really use it for is it will automatically sync then with my Notion databases. So any Air podcast snippets I save will automatically go into my media database in Notion. Yeah, so so Air is a podcast app where you can, and I listen to educational podcasts on it, things where I want to capture pieces of it for later reference. And you can highlight a section and it'll transcribe it for you. And like August said, if you have a Readwise account, it actually connects directly to Readwise, but you can also just share the text if you don't have a Readwise account. But it transcribes the podcast as you're listening to it, uh, small segments of it. It's It's yeah. very useful for listening to things you want to learn from. And also then to share the snippets, just the one little piece yeah. from the podcast uh, on social media. Another really cool one is Descript. Are you familiar with that as a video no. audio? Okay, so this, this is actually great for podcasters. It's got a, it's, it's a magic to this one. So it's a video and text editing tool. So you'll, or video or audio, you record your video or audio, you upload it in, it transcribes it, but then you will edit the video or audio by basically working in a word processor. So you'll change the text transcript. And as you delete words, it will edit the video or audio along with your word modifications. But then it also can take samples of your voice and you can type in additional sentences and phrases and words, and it will actually add them in a very convincing way. Yeah, I I misheard you. I thought you had said script, but you you said S-C-R-I-B-D. And... This app is like dark magic. I'm yeah. a little afraid to use it. I don't know, you know, what <laughs> no, kind of it, deal I'm making. Yeah, it's it's really cool. I know Jason Snell used it 
pretty heavily for his 20 max for 2020 series here on relay FM. And yeah, I mean, I don't know if I, but I'm picky. I wouldn't use it to make a final thing. I'd want it. And Jason did this to go in and like, you know, do finishing touches and something like logic, but I don't think you have to. And it really is. I mean, it's one of those things like, Oh, computers (laughs) can do this now. Right. Like it is really eye opening to me and it is, it is pretty dang good. Yeah, and then it does have an export to other apps for finishing, like like Premiere or Final Cut. Uh, but yeah, it's when you first see it, it's kind of scary good in terms of... Now, it's not always the fastest, but especially if you don't know audio or video editing already, it's the easiest way to get into it. Yeah, this is a this is an interesting app, I'll tell you. I, I, I've got it, and I'm trying to figure out what I use it for. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you want, uh, want to run through some other ones? I, I use a lot of health and fitness ones. I use the app for my Aura Ring quite a bit to monitor and track sleep quality sure. and learn how to improve my sleep by seeing what's having positive and negative impacts on my sleep. I use, uh, for me- I do a lot of meditation. I use the waking up app from Sam Harris and the Oak meditation app. Um, two good apps for doing meditation. Which, which app do you use for sleep? Oh, uh, the app that comes with the aura ring. Are you familiar with? It's a device. It's an actual yeah. ring. Uh, sure. You wear your finger, but it's got a great app that gives you the data from that sleep tracking. Yeah. So it's a ring you put on your finger and it, it collects enough data about you while you're sleeping to to give real yeah. feedback. It's, it's the best sort of off-the-shelf consumer sleep tracking data available, really. Uh, it has activity tracking too, but it's not very good at your daytime activity tracking. Other things are much better for that. But Aura Ring really excels at sleep. And really, there's nothing that's going to give you a better improvement in your day than improving your sleep. It's I think it's step one on physical health and taking care of yourself. And so I put a lot of effort into getting quality sleep and and learning how to improve my sleep. So by tracking the data of my sleep performance or the quality of my sleep, I can do experiments. I can say, if I do this for a week, does it improve or hurt my sleep relative to the baseline? And how do you see the ring in comparison to like the built-in sleep tracking that Apple's doing these days? Uh, Well, prior to using this, I was using an app with my Apple Watch uh, I can't remember the name of the app, but it's really good. I can I can send that to you if you're interested. Uh, but it it's a couple things with Aura Ring. First of all, it's more accurate data, more frequent samples than the Apple Watch. It's capturing more precise and a broader range of data. Also, I like that you can turn it into sleep mode and avoid the EMFs emitted from it. So it'll capture the data. I can sync it once a day for a few minutes and then put it back into airplane mode. And so whereas the Apple Watch, you have to leave it on for it to be capturing the data and tracking it with the app. Yeah, and on the phone, because I've been experimenting with these lately, um, there's one called Auto Sleep, which is good because you don't have to remember to turn it on, but it, it's not giving you the same you know data. Sleep Plus Plus from our friend David underscore Smith is an excellent app. And there was another one. Uh, I, d- I just deleted it, and I'm sorry. So I'll yeah. I'll put one in. The, I'll put the them in the show notes. But all of these sync with the Apple Health app, which is great. That's sort of like home base for it all to aggregate. Yeah, yeah. I've been really happy that more and more health and fitness apps put data there because it means you can try different apps over time and compare them and and that sort of thing. It's uh, it's pretty nice how that's kind of quietly grown to be a pretty big deal on the phone. Yeah, I, I love that too. 
Well, I mean, just like August was saying, I really, I think people are waking up to the fact that, you know, not getting enough sleep is like walking around drunk and it it really affects your performance and your ability to focus. And it is interesting to me though, that, you know, there, there's like a divide here. There's the apps that work on their own. There's the apps that go to the Apple watch. And then there's the next level up where you buy specific hardware as August has done. Yeah. And I'm I'm super curious on the comparison of data between them. I mean, does it make sense to buy the ring or are you good enough with what you have? Yeah, the ring's a little pricey. And it's, I don't think it lives up to the full hype. It's gotten a lot of hype. But I think it's good. It's it's the best there is. Uh, but it's going to, you know, that technology is getting better and better. I listen to a lot of health and fitness podcasts and, and discussions. And consistently when asked what company do they see as really transforming the future of health, over and over again, people deep in the field who know the specialty tools will say Apple because the ability to track this information with wearables like watches and iPhones is just unprecedented in terms of opening up health data that individuals have just never had. And of course, Google's doing this too, but in terms of trusting your data with somebody, especially personal sensitive data like like health data, uh, I think Apple easily wins the day over Google. (laughs) I mean, one of the most transformative things the Apple Watch did for me was wake me up to how little stress I was putting on my heart. You know, I I thought I was super, you know, fit with my 10,000 steps a day and my Fitbit. But when I got an Apple Watch and there was a ring there that wasn't filling, I realized I needed to change my game and, you know, start hiking uphill and do things to to challenge my heart every day. And and I, I'm not a fitness expert. If you saw a picture of me, you can see I'm definitely got a face and body for radio. But the, um, but I do think that stuff helps for for people. Yeah, I bought the Apple Watch specifically for health and fitness. I turn off all notifications. I'm not in it for alerts. I'm in it for health and data purposes. And Apple is really leaning into that as well. I mean, they, I think they get that. Absolutely, completely agree. Well. August, thank you so much. Like I said, you were number one on my list for people to talk about Notion because I know you're just such an expert at it and you've done so many interesting things. Uh, Gang, if you want to learn more about Notion, I highly recommend August's collection of videos on Notion. And the thing he does so well is he builds it up from from ground uh, zero, really. To Even if you don't know anything about Notion, if you follow his video series, you're going to be a pro by the time you get to the end and maybe even learn a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you guys. It's been a thrill to be on here with you. I love what you do. This podcast is fantastic. So it's been really fun to explore these ideas with you. All right. So we'll have links for August's uh, channel in the show notes. Anywhere else people should go to learn about you, August? Well, my company is uh, Year Zero at yearzero.io. It's about reinventing yourself, starting from scratch and becoming the person you want to become. That's where I have my courses and my membership community and uh, coaching and consulting accessibility. So that's at yearzero.io. And then, yeah, the YouTube channel, it redirects from notionproductivity.com. Okay. And we'll put links for all of that in the show notes. Uh, We are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. Uh, You can join the discussion at talk.macpowerusers.com. Maybe if you're a Notion Power User, share what you're doing with it so the other listeners can see what users are doing. Thank you to our sponsors, 1Password, Smile, Microsoft, and Indeed. And we'll see you next time.